Wouldn't we all like to make $30,000 more per year? My expert today tells us just how we can accomplish such a goal. Fortunately for the female audience, it's entirely attainable. Unfortunately, that means you're probably also being grossly underpaid. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Mia Smithson. Mia is a global director of talent management responsible for hiring and development across seven countries. Her journey here started when she realized she was being underpaid by tens of thousands of dollars per year, and led to her developing the 30K program. Its goal is to help women get out of their underpaying jobs and into careers that they love and will pay them like they're valued. If you're a guy like myself, listening to this and wondering if it can help you, Mia gives quite a few tips that are totally universal, so stick around. Let's negotiate for better pay. Welcome to the show, Mia Smithson. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Definitely. Um, Yeah, so as mentioned, my name is Mia. I have scaled my career to the Global Director of Talent Management, leading hiring and leadership development for a global workforce of 807 countries. So I started the 30K program after I found out that I was underpaid by $30,000. So I quickly hired a coach. I learned how to negotiate, and then I got three promotions within a year. And the reason why I share this is because I personally know what the gender pay gap feels like. And I've interviewed a little over 5,000 people at this point and have heard literally thousands of women undersell themselves. And so, yeah, I am here today uh, advocating for women and I've created a program specifically to help them to get a job that they adore, right, that also is higher paying, right? Where they learn the tools they need to effectively negotiate. Well, in a $30,000 deficit, that's a huge number where you're like, that's not, you know, a dollar or something. That's a huge difference. Yeah. uh, Well, what's fascinating about it is I don't think women realize how much money that they're leaving on the table. I mean, studies show it's about 17.7%, but I've heard women who, um, and one women's, woman specifically I can think of who literally increased her comp by like $50,000 like within her program. And it's because she was like so underpaid and she just didn't even know how to negotiate, right? And like the whole point of this is not like, oh my gosh, let's, um, you know, suck the employer dry and where they put all their money into their employees. Like, no, it's, it's, it's simply about knowing how to effectively package your skills 
having confidence in those skills and then asking for, you know, what the market says those skills are worth. Right. And I think when, when employees are paid well, right, they feel taken care of, they feel supported. And I feel like they, you know, are able to just really add immense value uh, in their work days and for their employers. Yeah. So do you tell people to kind of like going into a job interview, is it a fresh job or is it a job they already work at where you're like, you need to do some research on, you know, what you're supposed to be paid? Yeah. So we in the program help women to change jobs and increase their comp by roughly 30K through getting a higher paid job. Can you do it in your current job? Yeah, 100% you can. I mean, I'm living proof of that, right? I've increased my comp by over 30K within, you know, a year period, but that's not a, that's not the norm, right? It, it, it is typically through switching employers that you are able to increase your comp by that amount. So it's very much like, you know, you want people to realize how underpaid they are and then find somewhere that's going to value them rather than like try and struggle up the system they're currently in. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, if you love where you're working, I would always try to figure out a way to make that work first, right? And that could start with a conversation with your manager and with seeing what opportunities within the company are higher paying, right? I mean, there's a ton of opportunities for internal mobility and growth. I mean, I know I've been a part of companies and I've created internal job boards before where employees are able to see the different opportunities and see, you know, what they could potentially be earning in, in a different opportunity, right? So I think first looking internally and seeing, like, it, does anything exist? And then if, you know, you are not able to find something that meets your terms, then finding a place that does, right? Sure. And is there, like, a kind of staple job you usually tell people to go towards where you're like, this is actually something you should look at? That's a great question. So we start with a strategy that's first and foremost, where we work with a person, we outline their long-term and then their short-term vision. And it's really different for everybody, right? It's not like a one size fits all. And so it's really about understanding what skills somebody has, and then learning how to effectively package their skills. Now, at the same time, I will say that there are certain industries that do stereotypically pay the most, right? So if you work in tech, in consulting, in sales, or even as an entrepreneur, you typically, there's more wiggle room for a comp increase than if you work for the government, right? And so if someone is looking for specific, like, I, I know that this is the type of job, but I'm totally flexible on industry, we can point them to an industry where they can be comped more. So then what does it look like preparing people for these interviews? Because that's a very stressful process. We all go through it. And I think a lot of us kind of feel like, what am I supposed to say in here? Am I saying the wrong thing? Well, there is no quote-unquote, like, right thing. It just is about knowing what to expect and knowing how you will show up in the conversation. So one of the first things I like to talk about with our clients, and this is going to sound very weird, but is this concept of discomfort now or discomfort later. So when you negotiate it, 
for most people can feel uncomfortable, right? But you are going to feel discomfort either way. Let's give you a really quick example. For Let's just say you're trying to lose 20 pounds, right? You could either feel the discomfort of not overeating cake, right? <laughs> or you can feel the discomfort of having eaten the cake in excess and having your pants off it, right? So you're going to feel discomfort either way. It just is about like, do you want the discomfort now or discomfort later? So we always say like, look, this, you're probably going to feel uncomfortable as you're going through this, but you won't feel as uncomfortable later when you have enough money to pay your bills, when you're not looking at your male coworkers thinking, oh my gosh, like more money over here they earning. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's about like first kind of knowing what to what to expect, knowing that there will be some discomfort, but that it will pay off. Um and then from there, like learning the specific skills of negotiation. And this is the stuff that's like honestly not taught in school because there are like core fundamentals and similar to learning any skill, right? If you want to sell, like there are clear frameworks that work really well for selling that you really need to understand if you're going to go out there and sell. The same is true for negotiation. Yeah. And that's a really good way to look at it where you're like, you know, you can be uncomfortable about now, you know, having this conversation, asking for more, trying to negotiate up, or you can be really uncomfortable later when you realize like you're not making the kind of money you need to live the life you want to live. Yeah, 100%. So do you see people making a, the same common mistake when they're walking into these interviews or these negotiations? Yeah, I, I definitely do. So just from like a kind of character viewpoint I noticed that a lot of our women will place these like artificial limits on themselves like oh like people from my background they don't like earn this much or like that's great of xyz but like I'm different right and they'll go in there and like if you go into negotiation unconfident then you're not going to be successful people by certainty and recruiters are trained to suss it out and a recruiter, when they say, when they pass your resume to a hiring manager, they are staking their name on behalf of your skill set. And so if you sound super unconfident in that interview, oh, baby, they're not going to move you forward. Right. And so it doesn't really matter sometimes, like if you get too tactical too early and if you're just like, oh, these are the exact scripts to follow and this is the words to say. But if the person doesn't feel the certainty, it doesn't matter what words they're saying. People are not going to buy that and people buy certainty. And so we work with our girls to really like figure out or our women to really figure out like and help them to see the value that they're bringing to the employer, how much better this employer is going to be because they have this person's skill set, right? And until that person is really bought in on their own value and on their own ability to make a difference and make an impact, it doesn't matter what words they'll say. They won't be successful until they have that certainty. So that's like, bottom, like we have to get that down before we go over any of the tactics. Sure. And training someone to have confidence has to be kind of a tricky job because... That is, it feels like a very internal structure where you're like, I can't make you confident about something. You have to kind of like, you know, exude confidence off of yourself, right? 
Well, it's interesting. So I used to think that. I used to be like, I mean, what can I do? I can't make someone more confident, right? And then I started thinking about it and I was like, wait a second. Confidence, it comes from what I've seen at least, doing what you say you'll do and having evidence to back up your beliefs. We can help our women see both of those things right? We work with them every single week. They set out these goals and we see them accomplish them. So that's the first piece. And then the second piece, we literally go through together and we say like, okay, what are the skills that you're bringing to this employer? And we literally have them list them all down. And they're looking at this. And oftentimes it's already listed on a resume, right? If they know how to write a, a fantastic resume, which we teach them all of that, we, we literally recommend having a copy of the resume up as they're interviewing, right? If you have Google monitors, have it in one monitor and then the other monitor, right? You have the, you know, Google Hangouts or the Zoom meeting. And that way, like, you're not sitting there like, oh my gosh, I have no value. You're like, I'm looking at pages of value, you know? And we teach our women to actually effectively quantify the value that they've brought. So one of the core fundamentals of that is Google's XYZ um resume framework which is you know i have um accomplished um x as measured by y doing z and so that's one of the fundamentals of how we structure that resume into it looks super beautiful it's like i you know increase this by that percentage through doing that and it's just so concrete that like actually <laughs> like these are drool worthy resumes like it's hard not to have belief when you see it in black and white, you can even print off a physical copy and you can be like, this is what I've done. These are the lives that I that have changed throughout it, or this is the revenue that's been brought brought into this company that's made a huge difference in their mission, right? And so it's all about just pouring out on paper what what you've accomplished and seen that right now. And that that allows you to have that certainty, right? And when you have the doubt, like I think some people think that like when you're confident, you don't have doubt, but like everybody has doubt, no matter how confident you are. So then I think it's just like, even when the doubt starts to keep, to creep up, you have these tools to look at and to be like, Oh, okay. Like I do have a little bit of, of doubt now. That's okay. That's not an issue because I know I'm confident in my skill set, Right. At the end of the day. And I have this proof to back it up that I can look at anytime that doubt does creep. Yeah, you're like, I, you know, there's no reason to not have confidence if I have proof by the data, by the numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the proof. Like, you can't argue with me about it. I can guarantee I'm right because I see it. Yeah. it. That's a very good advantage that I think we, we have now because it seems like interviewing for jobs, you know, remotely or digitally has become much more common as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is shifting to the norm now, so yes. <laughs> and that's very interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, may feel better or worse about that. Like some people have this pressure of like being in the room physically with people affects people a lot differently than, you know, if you're not, if you're, you know, sitting on a computer screen, like I can, I can kind of feel as good as I want about it because I know there's a lot of separation between us and I'm just talking to you know, my monitor or whatever it is. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's about 
being comfortable regardless of the circumstance. So what that means is whether it's via Zoom or in person, whether, you know, you woke up late and you didn't end up having the time to eat your high protein breakfast or not, like, um, I personally have the belief it's perfect perspective over a perfect circumstance. Right. And so when you train yourself to show up regardless of external circumstances, that to me is true power, true, like truly being successful. Right. Because things don't have to be perfect for you to show up and add that value into to be you. Yeah, very much so. Do you kind of like you have a priority list where you're like, if you're talking to them and you're, you know, you're really selling yourself on this job. Is there like number one, bring up money you've made for the company and then number two, bring up, you know, how you've changed the company and then number three, bring up like, is there an order to things or do you just like kind of let them machine gun it at people? People hire employees to solve pain. If someone is willing to pay you money, it means that they have pain that you are needed to solve, right? So you need to be figuring out what that pain is as soon as possible right you're like why is this rule open you know what what is the urgency of hiring this position and then instead of just saying like these are the accomplishments like if you're sitting there saying like yeah as a director of people ops i you know spearheaded benefits for a workforce of you know 1900 and i did this but if they actually just wanted someone who has organizational design experience like that's like great that you've done all those that but like it's not really what their need is so you asking and figuring out what that pain is is really really important and this is also there's crossover if you um like have a business right when you do a console call with someone you're always solving the pain right you know figuring out what the problem is that you're solving what that pain point is first thing and so like if you're just if you tell them that like all like any information prior to knowing that then you know, you're probably not going to be as successful, right? Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense because you're like, you know, I can list all the accomplishments I want, but if it doesn't apply to them at all, then what am I doing? Yeah. And they're like, exactly. yeah, this this person just came in here and just started like rattling off things they've done. And then like that was the end of the interview. And I feel super weird about that person. Yeah. Are there things that you like actively tell people to avoid then because obviously it's like make sure you talk about what they need as a company but is there also like make sure you don't say these things even if you do feel them about yourself like i have heard people say like oh i'm a bad communicator i don't know that i'd bring that up yeah i mean there's a lot of like don't do's i would say the thing that is the the thing I've heard the most on interviews is yeah my number one recommendation is not to spill the candy and this happens in negotiations so of the roughly you know five thousand interviews that I've done I mean I would say at least half of them have spilled the candy so this is a pretty big issue and this is where when you are negotiating if you were to be like okay, um, you know, what is the salary range that you're targeting? And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm currently at 100K 
you know, I'm targeting 110K, but I'd be okay with going lower, right? That, that right there, it's called spilling the candy. At least in the United States, HR professionals are not able to ask what the person is currently making. And so you do not want to be saying the number first, right? Instead, you want to be doing something called reversi, which is where, and recruiters use this all the time. This is where, let's just say, you ask me, what's the salary range that you're targeting? And I say, yeah, before I let you know that information, could you let me know the salary range for the role, right? Then I put that ball back in your court because whoever says the number first loses. You do not want to say that number first. Interesting. That is something I had never considered because if you're like, I would feel so weird about it to just like turn it on them and be like, well, what's the salary range for this job? Cause then they're like, well, Whoa, uh, <laughs> here's the thing though. I mean, in nearly every negotiation, I, I always reverse and I've reversed in almost every single interview I've ever done. Sometimes I even pull up the double reversal. It's very common, right? You got to have a little bit of swagger to pull off the reversal with the double reversal, which is why you need to have the practice with, with someone who is skilled in this, right? Because if you're just practicing with someone who's like making less than you and they've never really done a negotiation, probably not going to be super successful. So you need to be practicing these skills with someone who knows what they're doing and then going in there and doing it. Yeah. So what if... And I'll just play the devil's advocate here. Like, what if they ask me the salary I'm looking for? Okay. And then I ask them, you know, well, what's the the wage range that you're hiring for? And then they pull another reversal on me. How how far can we take this chain down the, the path? Yeah. So, yeah, what, what you're alluding to is a double reversal. Okay. So in the double reversal, this is right where, you, so you say to me, What's the salary range that you're targeting? And I say, before I let you know that information, could you let me know that what this range looks like for the role, right? And then you say, well, you know, uh, the hiring manager is still figuring out the exact uh, salary range. Could you let me know just a rough target, right? So that's what you say back to me. And I'm like, oh, you know, I would love to. And I'm definitely, I'm really excited about this role. I'm, I'm excited about ev everything we've discussed so far, but it's important to me to have all the necessary information before I let you know that information. So could you um, just circle back with me once you have discussed with the hiring manager, once you do know what that range looks like, right? And if you notice what I just said, I had pauses. I had clear vocal, like, intonation and so if you're just kind of like rushing and if you're not really knowing how to say it you got to practice your tonality because if you try to pull off the, the reversal or a double reversal and you don't know kind of what words to stress that they're not going to buy it so you really have to go in there and you have to say like look i i know that is important to me to know this the salary range right you have to kind of convince yourself once again of this first before you go in there and you do, you you go through this. Yeah, I mean, when you're saying that, it comes across very like, I know that I, I'm pretty sure of my number, but I'm not going to share that number until you're sure of your number. And since you guys are the ones hiring, I got to hear your range 
before I'm going to say what it is that I am already going to say. Yeah, that's exactly it. So the energy, if, if and you just pointed this out, it's not a graspy energy. Like you just want the employee you're interviewing with to know their stuff. And I will say that by law, at least in eight states in the United States, they are mandated to let you know what that salary range is. And that number is just increasing every day, right? So it's what federally what we're shifting to, right? And you just want to have, you just want to know all your information. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course. So other than spilling the candy and kind of like undervaluing yourself right off the bat, is there other common mistakes that you kind of like teach people to avoid the pitfalls of certain areas? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I've noticed is lack of strategy in a job search. And this is the person who they, they do the spray and pray. They're just like, Oh, one click LinkedIn. I'm just gonna, you know, some odds of my everywhere. You get a resume, you get a resume, you get a resume. No strategy. And so we teach our women <laughs> to land the plane. Now, if you notice, when the plane takes off, they're not like, yeah, they got some of the passengers on there. Okay, we'll just, you know, go up and maybe we'll just stop off over here. We'll pick off a few more. I don't know. We'll just kind of see. We'll just, we'll just. Like, no, they're strategic. They're like, do we have all the passengers? Okay, check. They do not take off. So we have all the passengers. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. Right? So you need to know the strategy beforehand. And the reason why this is valuable is because you want to have multiple job offers. And this is called a BATNA, which is the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If you do not have multiple badness, then you're operating from a place of scarcity and not of strength. You always want to come to the table. You're interviewing multiple employers. It helps you to get those multiple offers and to have this abundance because, you know, if that one company, if they can't meet everything you're targeting, worries. You got two other offers, right? And if you're not strategic, then what, then what you run into is this. You, you know, let's just say you start applying in January, right? And you send out your first application and then you, you know, maybe apply to, to like five places in February, but then March a few more, but then your one from January is like really taking off. And so then you're just like, oh, and then all of a sudden you get an offer really quickly for that. No, no, no. What instead what I always recommend doing is where you're pacing it. So you have a set number of places you're applying to every single week. And then if we got a little speedy Gonzalez action, right? This consulting firm you're interviewing with, they are like, every week, they're like, we got another interview. You're doing so well. You got to slow them down a little bit and allow your other interviews to catch up, right? So you're getting these offers around the same time. So you really want to be strategic. And if you're just like willy nilly, like, oh, you know, they had kind of a fun culture, but then like, you got to know what you're what you're doing as, as you're going through this, right? Because if you don't, you'll just kind of get a job, which I guess is fine, but like you spend, what, 40 hours a week, like, like a third of your life at, at work, like you might as well enjoy it and love every second of it, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of reminds me, as you're talking about this, of like a really, I think it's an old adage, where they say, like, the best time to apply for a new job is when you already have a job. 
Because then you at least have, you know, at least one of these things where you're like, I already know I have a fallback. Like, it's the job I'm currently working. I have that number. Like, it is a salary. It's a stable workplace. I already know that I have it. So the people I'm interviewing with have to do at least better than that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, automatically you're operating out of a place of strength. So yeah, definitely. Ideally that's, that is um, when you would start looking, but then at the same time, I think it's important to, let's say that if you were one of the people laid off to not use that as a disadvantage and to instead be like, look, I got some extra time. We're going to make this happen. Like this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. You know? So it's, it's about kind of, taking the things that are naturally strengths in your circumstances and playing those up. And if you don't have something that another person has, it's like, no big deal. I'll make what I have rock and roll anyways, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I had to laugh earlier because you're like the spray and pray method where we're just going to apply to all of these jobs. And I'm like, that is me. <laughs> That's what I do where I'm just like, Oh, that job looks interesting. This job looks interesting. That job looks interesting. And then I just apply to all of them. And I'm like, what am I interviewing for today? Like, well, it's so interesting because I almost feel like it's like it's like eating cake. It's like, oh, that just like that looks so good. Right. I'm just gonna like have one more bite and just like one more bite. Or just like maybe one more bite. It's like the same exact thing. And the big thing, like when you look at it for jobs, is if you're not like if you don't have a clear cut criteria defined before you even start a job searching, you're not going to know once you found that job because you don't even know what you're looking for. It's like searching for a mate. And then, you know, you go on a date and you're like, I don't know, could they be the one? I don't really know. Could they? I guess I'll go another date, maybe another person. I have no idea. I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, no, you're not going to know what you're looking for and then be strategic with, um, with how you apply. But I mean, to that note, I I think a lot of people do this brand pray. Like, I oh my gosh, I haven't seen stats on it, but I think that that's the norm, right? And there's no blame to anyone who's who's done that. Like, people don't know any better. Like, it's that's okay, <laughs> but there's a better way. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's very much you're like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I don't hear back from them. And, you know, to what you're saying, like, you need to do research, you need to know what you're going into, because if you're just showing up for, you know, any odd job, you don't have a good background to lean on. It's very hard to tailor yourself, like you're saying, to these things when you're applying at random. Yeah. Let's talk a little more about your 30K program. Because obviously you started it for, you know, from your own experience yeah. and you wanted to help people find this. Is there like a reason that we are seeing such a wage gap? Yeah. So what's fascinating about it is at first this is global, right? So everywhere except for Iceland, interestingly enough. Um, <laughs> and it's because... There was literally a day where all of Icelandic women just like said that they were not going to do any form of work. They weren't going to take care for kids or go into the office or anything until they had equality of pay specifically. And so there was a gender pay gap or gender pay bill that was passed in Iceland. So that's the reason behind that. But everywhere else, 
it is like a global phenomenon <laughs> regarding the gender pay gap. And I think it's because of like how, like how the culture does treat women. Like when I know personally, when I was growing up, it was kind of like, Oh, you gotta be nice. You gotta be sweet. And like, like you don't want to like negotiate and like ask for too much money and making money bad. Like there's just, there were all of these messages that I was told and so, like, I had to do a lot of deep work personally in order to understand, like, wait, these, like, these are limiting beliefs that are not serving me. And they're really not taught to men, right? Studies show that men apply for roles, like, even if they don't have all the criteria, right? They apply for roughly, if they have, like, 60% of the criteria, they'll apply. Versus women, it's 100%. And women, it's this, like, I would say, like, the narrative is this, like, not enough. It's like, well, I'm not enough, so I can't ask for that amount of compensation. I'm not enough, so I can't apply for this job. And it's like the world needs more people who want to serve, right? Who are less concerned with them being quote unquote enough, which who even defines that? What? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The world like truly does need people who are wanting to get out there and solve problems and who are not obsessing about if or if not if they're enough, right? Yeah, well, and it makes a very interesting point because it should make the female applicant more like desirable as your employee. Because if I look at an applicant that's a man that has 60% of the criteria, and then I have the next interview after that is a lady that has 100% of it, I'm like, well, why would I not pick this one? Well, but here's the thing, right? A resume may get you in the door, but it doesn't, you know, guarantee you get the job, right? Sure. So you may have that amazingly packaged resume, but what I've seen with a lot of females I've interviewed is that they come across less confident when they interview. They don't have the same level of certainty. Like a guy, I'm not kidding you. I've interviewed some guys who are like, they have not been half the things in that job description, but they're like, look, okay? I, they're just like telling them what. I'm like, okay, hold up a second, right? They're like, you know what? And if you want, I can even put you in touch with my old, with my old box. Do you want that? Yeah, and I'm like, okay. Like they have so much belief, so much certainty. And this like level of just natural, like, wow. Like, this is someone I got to listen to. And then when you have that woman who's like, and this is oftentimes what I've seen a lot of women, which really hurts. <laughs> like, this is this like, they're so qualified. They're like, well, and then I got this certification. And then after that, I went on and I got that certification. But it's like, they don't have this, like, inherent belief that, like, look, they're here to solve some problems and they can do it. Like, they're the person for this job. They were meant for it. And they got some value to add. You know, and you gotta go in there believing that. And if there's, if you have that internal script that you don't, then some, you know, the other person on the other end is not gonna buy it. One of the things that we do in the program is an exercise called, called the invisible script. This is so fascinating. This is where we'll, we'll do a practice interview. And it's typically the first one that we do that we, the, you know, woman that we're doing the practice interviewing with is, uh, doesn't come across as confident. And so we see, we ask her to write down 
what she was thinking during the interview, what that invisible script was. And oftentimes it's like, I am not enough. Oh my gosh. Like they're going to think that X, Y, and Z. Um, Oh, I've never worked at a, a, at a company of this size. They're going to totally know, Oh, there's probably a lot of other candidates who are more qualified than me. Oh, there was that three month gap in my resume. I know they're going to pick that out. And so we have them literally outline their entire invisible script. And it isn't until we pull out and we're like, whoa, these are all your thoughts. we got to clean up this before you come here with you. You know what I'm saying? And it's not until they actually like pull out this invisible script that we get to work. Because people will, they'll sense your invisible script even if you don't say it. And they'll sense it based on your body language or what your, you know, your intonation is, right? And so it's so important to clean up what you're thinking when you're going into these conversations because recruiters, they will suss it out. Yeah, you're like, it's their job to look, you know, at your resume and then at how you're presenting yourself and see where your, your weak spot is. And then like pry until they get something to where they're like, are you the best candidate? And then just keep prying until, you know, they either they crack you or you totally sell them. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like, I personally have experienced a lot of what's called bait and switch, which is where one person shows up for the interview. And then there's another one who um, ends up showing up day one. Right. And there's, no, this is actually a really big common practice. It's oftentimes with like, oh, I, I've experienced it a lot with like people with foreign nationals and working with sub vendors, but it's a really, really common practice. I have seen like the level of corruption I've seen is, I mean, you could make documentaries off of it. It's absolutely insane. And so because of that, like I inherently am like, I don't just trust that the person, what they're saying is naturally like, you know, gospel i'm like eh, interesting and so i know the questions to ask to really pry it out right and it's just because i've dealt with such a high level of corruption which is you know it's a lot of if, if you've done recruiting especially worked internationally at all you know you are probably attuned to, to doing that so that is crazy I've yeah. never heard of that. And it is the wildest thing I could imagine for an interview to be like, yeah, my buddy's going to show up because he's super good at interviewing, but then I'm going to be your worker day one. So you can actually, there's Facebook groups of this where it'll be like, Hey, I'm looking for someone for like a 30 minute interview. You just pop in. And I literally have seen them. I'll never, like, I'll never forget when I first saw it of like people like people hiring other people to actually interview so it's a huge issue um and the easy way just the quick hack is where you do you actually screenshot during every single interview to make sure that during every single phase it's the exact same person and then you cross verify with the id and then you never accept one form of id you always have to have multiple forms right and so there are definitely tests and things that you can set up but yeah it's it's crazy out there yeah, that is like a, a step that you have to check to make sure, like, I'm going to screenshot during all of my interviews just in case this person's not who shows up or not who's on the oh. ID. Like, what? Why you is that an issue? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's sad, but it is the reality. That is crazy. So, 
you know, going back to this, you know, not only like interviewing well and interviewing with confidence, but talking about this pay gap and good for Iceland, congratulations for them. Is there something to be said about having like a more open salary discussion? Because it's something that I have basically never experienced. No matter where I've gone, there is always like, well, don't talk about your pay ever with anyone. And I think like if we had like a much more open system about that, wouldn't it eliminate some of this issue? Yeah, so I have a few thoughts on that. So one thing that is nice is that you are starting to see a lot of companies post their the salary ranges uh, on jobs. So that is inherently, you know, already starting to happen. But one thing that I find really interesting is that it is, and there's, I think it's called otter.ai that did this study. And basically they were trying to figure out like, what's the root reason of why women are making less? Like, is it the company that's like, well, we'll just pay all the women less than the men. Or is it like the women? Is it the government? Like who's kind of like part of what to blame? And what they found is that it is the women who are underselling and who are not asking for that same cop. So it's like fascinating because it's not like the guys, it's not like, when you're born, you know, all men are given more access to compensation data than women, right? It's not like you're like, well, we limit all these sites for all the women. It's just the men who have the access. Like, no, like we all have access to the same information, but it's the women who are not utilizing this data that a lot of it is available already, right? They're not utilizing the data and they're not negotiating. So I think it's like, I think it's for most women, I think it's a lot of it has to do with like their self-worth and like their, their belief in um, their ability to serve. I think that's like the one core thing. And then I'd say the second thing is um, I noticed just that like men know how to negotiate more effectively. Like I can't tell you how many men have done the reversal and the double reversal. And like, these are like not common. Like that's not something that most people are talking about because it's just pretty much recruiters who know these things because we're the ones who do it all the time. Right. And so I'm like, how, like, I think they just like are naturally like kind of picking it up or maybe they're looking for the training. I'm not really sure, but it's definitely like multifaceted, I would say, as far as why why men are, are earning more than women are. Interesting. Yeah, I certainly don't have access to any sites or skills that other people don't. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, it makes me think about like some of the places that I have worked. I'm not particularly shy with my coworkers about saying like, this is how much I make. Like, I'm pretty open about that because... It doesn't mean anything to me if you know it. But I've yeah. also had people say where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm making, you know, X number. And they're like, I make $3 less an hour than you. And I'm like, I don't know why. You've been here the same amount of time as me. And I think that, like, it can help encourage people in some way, I would hope, to say, like, okay, well, next time I'm talking to our manager, or our supervisor, whoever it is, like, I'm going to bring up that like, I need to make more because I know I'm below other people. 
Well, and I, I'll be honest with you. Okay, so first, there are companies that do openly disclose the compensation of every single employee. There are companies that do that. If you if you Google it, trust me, you'll find it. Primarily startups. Um, at the same time, and this is going to sound very controversial, especially in the business that I'm in, there is a time and a place for two people in the same world to be making a different amount of money. What? Crazy. Yeah. And it's because, right, there are two people who may be senior software engineers, but they may still have a different level of skill set that they're bringing to the table. And so just because your, your coworker is making more money than you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be make or you should be earning more. I think it's just important to understand, you know, all the different factors. And I spend a lot of time and energy thinking about how people make more money. And I have a theory on this. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So um, step one is change the boat you're rowing in, right? As mentioned, tech, consulting, sales, medicine, law, and entrepreneurship typically have really high potential. Step two is increase your skill level. Three is um, more effectively package your skills, like on a resume, on a cover letter, LinkedIn profile, all that. Four is get a job at a company that pays in the top 75th to 100th percentile. And all this data, you can find this information out online, right? Um, five is strategically negotiate with confidence, right? Which is learning a new skill. Six is up-level your habits, right? Like if you are not, you know, showing up to meetings on time and getting done what you need to get done, then you need to work on your habits, Okay. Um, seven is foster an abundant money mindset. If you go in there and you're like, and you don't think that you personally can earn that much money, then you're probably not going to earn that much money. Right. And then eight is have evidence and belief that you are in demand. Once again, <laughs> knowing that like there are other employers that can employ you, like it doesn't have to just be this one, one particular employer. That's what makes a huge difference. So that is I, that is like the fundamental eight of what I've come up with at, you know, seven years into my talent acquisition and management career. Yeah. And a lot of that can be traced back to, you know, when you've said you have to have confidence, if you don't think you can earn that money, uh, you won't. And if you don't think like you're qualified for that job, you're not because you're just not ready to like be doing that. If you're not feeling it yourself. You have a hard time selling somebody else on that. Like a lot yeah. of confidence in these things. Yeah, it's crazy. Awesome. Well, I think we've given people a lot to think about and a lot to kind of learn from and maybe, you know, do some of their own research and their own scripting and kind of, you know, figure out where they're at and what they need to do to get better. I was hoping to kind of give you some time to for people to find where you are and where they can find you and all of your things. Yeah, definitely. So the 30kprogram.com is the one-stop shop. You can sign up for a console call. You can also download the free ebook called Master the Seven Seconds. And this has job application best practices and resume samples from people who worked at Google, Microsoft, Airbnb. It's completely free. And it is, yeah, I resource meant to help everyone. I recognize our program is just for women. And you know, if you're a guy, you can use this. Amazing. <laughs> sure. Well, that's awesome. And you know, I am so glad that you offer a free resource like that. 
you know, because it, it helps unrestrict some things for people. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I've appreciated you being on the show. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you like the episode, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you really like it, remember to subscribe for two new episodes every week and check out the over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or send a message on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you find me. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. It's February now, and that means new rankings. Number one, the United States, with Texas, Oregon, and California as top states. Number two, Australia, stealing the coveted second place spot and led by Victoria. Number three, the United Kingdom. Number four, Canada, with British Columbia beating Ontario for top province. Number five, Sweden led by Uppsala, and just barely baiting out Singapore. That's it for today. I'll see you all Thursday. Buh bye bye